Well, welcome this morning. Um, doing a little differently, obviously, um, at home versus here. Um, but want to continue in our series, uh, Messy Church, through the book of Corinthians. And uh, the next couple weeks together um, are going to be a little different in the fact that we're not going to go in order through the chapter. Uh, we're going to kind of bounce around a little bit. And the reason being, I believe Paul puts the uh, emphasis in the middle of this passage um, for what he's trying to accomplish for the whole passage. And so what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to read uh, the passage together, and then we're just going to dive right in, and uh, hopefully you're ready to uh, dive in as well. So First Corinthians chapter 7, three different breaks, but we are going to begin in verse 17 this week. Change it up a little bit. It says this, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was one, anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do, you not, do not be concerned about it. But if you gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. Likewise, he was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Let me go and pray this morning as we jump in, and then we'll get started. God, we thank you so much Uh, in the midst of everything that's going on right now. uh, We know that you are in control. God, amidst all the fears and concerns that we have, we know that you are ultimately reigning and ruling. And God, this doesn't take you by surprise. So Father, I pray this morning um, that as we talk about this idea of being called to where we are, uh, we would realize that that fits even today. And so uh, we pray that uh, you continue just to protect us as a church, but also that you would use this passage to remind us uh, that you are truly in control. So we thank you for that, and uh, we look forward to what you're going to bring to us this morning as we study your word. In your name we Amen. All right. So we, uh, like I said, we're going to be a little bit different in the fact that we were going to cover marriage, but we're going to jump into the middle of the passage And then next week, Lord willing, uh, we're going to hit singleness. And then the third week, we're going to hit marriage and really dive into some passages on divorce and remarriage and some pieces like that uh, as we continue on. But this morning, uh, I think it's obvious and I think it's even more so now that we are a very distracted and then possibly even a discontented people. Um, This is a screenshot of my phone. And uh, as you can see from the image there, we, uh, we check our phones a lot. Um, actually, looking at mine, it's, it's quite a bit as well. And that was just from Wednesday. As you realize, that's probably gone up quite a bit in checking my phone. Um, but here, here's a st- statistic that's out there. We check our smartphones 81,500 times each year. So that's the equivalent of 4.3 minutes of every single day we are looking at our screens. So that means in the middle of this sermon this morning that you're going to be tempted to check your phone at least eight times. So please don't stick with me. Um, This is going to be important as we walk through this together. Unless you're watching on your phone and that's kind of, you know, a given. But anyway, uh, we do this because uh, partly we, we, we want to see how much we're missing out on. And uh, we realize that, that that's very important to us. But here's the other thing we don't realize. Here's a crazy part. 
we check it so often, partly because of how fast it comes to us. This is crazy. We, the phone that you have currently in your hand possesses 30,000 times the processing speed of the one that NASA used in uh, the 1960s to, to send the Apollo 11 to the moon. That's crazy. That's insane. So what you hold in your hand is far more faster and far more information to consume than you've ever had in your life. And so our devices are helpful, um, but oftentimes they just leave us distracted. And so a couple things that uh, they tend to do uh, as our phones get into our lives, our devices kind of help us to avoid certain things. I don't know if you're like me or not, but they tend to help us avoid the hard things and procrastinate. If there's a project coming up or if there's something you don't want to deal with, it's far more easier to, to just scroll right through your phone and uh, social media or emails or messages. It's, it's just easy to get distracted when there's hard things to do. And then we end up just procrastinating through whatever we're supposed to be doing at the time. Um, our phones, ironically, can help us to avoid people. Um, I'm probably sure that many of us have had opportunities where we've ghosted somebody, where we, we see the call and we're like, nope, you're just going to avoid that, and we just continue on to whatever we're watching or looking at on our phones. Um, but they also help us to avoid spending time with God as well, which is not really helpful, right? It's this idea that the more time we, we spend on them, the more they grab our attention, the more they grab us and drag us into whatever it is that we are we're watching. And so our, dev- our devices can help us to avoid things, but ultimately I feel like sometimes they can help us to feed the panic. Uh, as you know, there is always the next news uh, cycle. There's always the next headline to read. There's always the next information to get, especially in regards to what we're facing currently. And, and they can really tend to drive the panic rather than help us to be calm in the middle of situations like this. And so in the midst of this distraction, it's crazy how much we, uh, we know it, we realize it, and, and we can even complain about how busy our lives are. And yet, if we're really honest, I think we truly love it. We love the complexity of it. We love being busy. I think unconsciously, we want the very thing we complain about, being busy, being distracted. And, and, and please hear me. This is not a rant on cell phones or the use of them or whatever device you're on. This is not a rant on that. This is not a sermon to get rid of them and go off the grid and shut things down electronically. I believe that uh, it'd be better for us in the midst of these distractions is not just to kill it, but to, to manage it and, and figure out why we get so distracted with these things. Distractions, phones or not, are not a problem to be solved, but I believe that they are rather a tension to be managed. And in the management of our distractions, we have come to understand this, and this is kind of one of the bigger truths this morning. When we are constantly distracted, we can fall into discontentment. The longer we become distracted and focused on so many things, the more we go discontent with what we already have. And so let me give you an illustration of this point of this distraction. So when I was younger, uh, six or seven, and you may relate, we had this thing that arrived to our homes and it was this huge catalog and it arrived in the middle of November. And I remember waiting for that thing. My brother and sister loved waiting for this book to come. And when this book came into our home, everything shut down. Everything just revolved around this catalog. And you may know what it is. It's this huge toy catalog that had all these different toys that you could purchase. And it wasn't like today's. I mean, this thing was huge. It was stacked and, and page after page after page of what you wanted for Christmas. It was huge. It was, it was awesome. It was the best thing to arrive at our house at that point in time. 
And we only had uh, one. And so obviously this thing took up a lot of time because my brother wanted it, my sister wanted it, I wanted it. And we always had to kind of share this one book. And, and this book would arrive with all these pages and pages of toys. And then we were given a different color pen from my parents, and we would go and be able to circle and highlight and decide what we wanted for Christmas. And here was the rule. You could only circle three things that you really wanted. And that was really tough. But, but we said, okay, here's three things. You got to circle. And you you got to decide which ones you want, and you can't go past that. And what started as an exciting distraction at the time started to turn into a new feeling of discontent. I don't know if you've been there before. You see all these options in front of you and all these things that you truly, truly want. And as you're looking at all these things, of the things you want, you realize the things you don't have. And and I didn't realize all the things I didn't have. I didn't have that action figure. I didn't have that remote control car. I didn't have all those things that my friends had. And, And this feeling of like excitement and distraction soon led into this feeling that I didn't like, and that is this feeling of discontent. This, this feeling of, of discontent it, it, that, that you had to have that exact thing, that exact toy. For me, it was Optimus Prime because that was the, the toy that you had to have. And uh, it, it, just, it consumed my time and it consumed my energy. And it started from a distraction and then it led to discontentment. When we are constantly distracted, we can fall back into discontentment. And now add to that discontentment, not just a a book or a a catalog of toys, but add to the discontentment, the culture of the day. And this was true of Paul's day, and this is true of our day, that this idea of just being distracted leading to discontentment was part of theirs as well. Their culture was very much like our culture. They prized freedom above any other virtue. They prized and sought out the latest and best idea. They praised autonomy and just being individualistic and my own thing and so, to, so it's just as clear as it is today. They were distracted by a bunch of things. It was all about them. And then that led to this, this discontentment. You see it clearly today, this idea of discontentment. I think if you hear and listen to people, it's those who are in school wish that they were out of school, which congratulations, you are now. You're, you're out of school for three weeks. So kudos to that. Um, those who are, are, are out of school crave to get back in school. And I know that seems crazy for those of you who are in school right now. You're like, that is never going to happen. Trust me, it will. Uh, Many of us uh, here, even at Community, have jumped back into schooling. Those who are uh, single really want to be married. And and those who are in unhappy marriages want to be single. We're going to cover that in two weeks. Um, Those who are poor want to be rich. and, And those who have all the money think it's too complex and they wish life was simpler and they wish I didn't have all these problems that these money, the money brings. Or those who wish they had kids and don't have kids, long to have them, and they're discontent because they don't have them. And those who have kids, you're like, man, I would really love a night where it's just me and my wife again, and, and we have a life and some kind of thing to do that's not revolving around our kids' schedules all the time. And so, so no matter where we are, we, we get just really discontent. We have something really powerful, and yet we look at it, and, dis- and discontent creeps in, and culture creeps in, And that's exactly what Paul's getting at here in in chapter 7. He's going to say there's this discontentment that's growing among the Corinthians here in this church. And he says there's a culture that's feeding this discontent. And Paul's going to remind them, hey, stay where you are. Don't worry about all the next things to come. Don't worry about all the things you're missing out on. Stay right where you are. So he's going to have us look at these two issues pertaining to uh, living as you are called 
And then once we get through that, the next two weeks, we're going to look at how that plays out into our singleness and how that plays out into our marriages. But for this morning, we're going to look and see how Paul gives us this main idea three different times in this text. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there in chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. He says it this way in 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule, I'm sorry, to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So first he says, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him to which God has called him. It's the thing he says, just remain where God has called you in verse 17. And then you read in verse 20, for each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Remain where you are, verse 20. And then in 24, he says it again. So brothers, in whatever condition each has called, there let him remain in God. He says it three different times. Remain where you are. Remain where you are. Don't get distracted. Stay right where you are. Now, there was a commentator that looked at this passage and he says this, 1 Corinthians 7 is the most detailed biblical theology of distraction and the pursuit of undistraction. And I believe it's true. It's going to play out in a bunch of different areas, but Paul is telling us don't get distracted because it could lead to discontent. Stay right where you are. He begins in 17, like I said, and says, let each lead the life that God has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now, this idea of calling, it's not this thing of, if you've grown up in church where you, you may have heard the word calling, I've been called to ministry, I've been called to go to this thing, or, or, or I've been called to this job. Or, and I think we get really concerned, at least growing up when I was in church, there was this huge concern of, am I missing God's call? Has he asked me to do something that I'm not currently doing? And am I missing out on what God's asking me to do? That's, that's not what Paul's dealing with here. If you go back to chapter one in 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with the calling of salvation. So this isn't like God asking you to move out of state and start something. This is God saying, I have called you out of death and into life. This is God saying, I have called you into salvation. So when you look at calling here throughout chapter 17, this isn't the idea of I'm going to call you and put you in a specific place. This is I've called you in salvation to be in Christ. And if you are in Christ, no matter what you're doing, that's where I've placed you. So, so just live where you are. Be content with where you are. And then he gives two examples. And he gives these two examples to kind of illustrate, I believe, the ends of which he's, he's called us to do it. I knew that was going to happen. Do you hear the siren? That's fantastic. Um, this is, doesn't happen on Sunday. You get this special right now. So anyway, uh, here's the deal. Um, chapter 18 and 19, uh, or I'm sorry, verses 18 and 19, he says this. Was anyone at the time of his... Uh, at the time of his call, already circumcised, let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision. Was one anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commands of God. So the first analogy he gives is kind of a brutal one, right? He had all these Jewish people who, who were starting their life in Jewish faith and they were circumcised because it was what they were called to do as a devout Jew. And then they accept Jesus and they somehow get misconstrued and they're like, well, because now I'm a Christian, I need to kind of have the surgery to kind of redo that. And now I need to be uncircumcised 
uncircumcised. And then you had these Gentiles who were uncircumcised, and, and they said, now that we have joined into the Christian faith, there were some Jewish people who said, you're, 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 you're uncircumcised, you need to be circumcised. You need to have the surgery, you need to remove, you need to add. It's a whole complex thing. For those who are watching with kids in the family, you can explain that later. But I cannot imagine this switching back and forth and back and forth and, and the messiness of this and all the men in the room were like, this is a crazy, crazy thing. I don't even know if I want to be part of this because of how much was going on here. And it was less about the surgery. It was less about circumcision. It was far more about their ethnicity. It was about the fact that do I lose who I am as a Jew when I come to Christ? And for a Gentile, it was do I lose who I am ethnically when I come to Christ? And Paul says to them in this thing, he says, no, 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 neither of that matters. That's not the concern here, whether your, your ethnic background causes you to do certain rituals or not. He says, that's not the point. The point is, you have been called into Christ. Therefore, remain in Christ and don't worry about all the externals, which would have been a relief <laughs> to a lot of the, Jew, or the Gentile men in the room and to a lot of the Jewish guys who probably would have been like, wait, I did that what, for nothing? Like, how did that, how did that work? I thought this was, and, and, and he says, don't worry about it. It's nothing. It, it's not your salvation. And that's the first example he gives here in verses 18 and 19. And as you can see, then he breaks in 18 and 19 and he gives the statement again, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And then he goes into these, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. Now, this passage right here, if we were to take this out of context, as many did early, early on in American history and even over in England, there was a lot of people that looked at this text, and this was the text that they used to validate their slavery ownership. And it has a lot of uh, damaging effects if you take this verse out of context, because many would read that verse and they would say, see, that's why we're allowed to own slaves. They're not allowed to get out of slavery. God's, Paul's telling them they just need to be slaves. They just need to adjust and, and they'll be fine. And that's, that's a good thing. And here's the interesting piece. If you have certain translations, it'll be translated slave. If you're, if you're in the ESV, it'll be translated bondservant. And I believe bondservant is the better term here because slavery in the time of Rome was not like the slavery that we had in America. It was, it was different. And, and there were pieces of it that don't translate well. And so the, the, the scholars who were translating and put this into the ESV said, we want this to make sense and we want to understand that Paul was talking about a culture and a time and we have a propensity to put our culture and time on it. And that's not what he's saying. The word bondservant at this time, where basically it's, it was this indentured servant, yes, and it was probably about a third of the people in Rome are bondservants at this point. Now, to put that visually in your head, think of from Texas all the way to the West Coast and all the states from north to south that, that, that are part of that population. If you take all the population from Texas up to the coast, that's a third, would all have been in this idea of a bondservant. 
And then there was a, a third that were freedmen, that they uh, basically served their masters, but they were able to be free at the same time. They were able to go home, they were able to put part of the, the, the job and put it away, okay? So there was, a, there was a third that was in the house that were actually serving that way, and then there was a third that were the freedmen, and then there were a third that were non-slaves. But when we think of bond servants, it was probably more of an employed kind of thing than, than possibly even owned when you think of freedmen, but the other side of it is you still had the third that truly were owned, that, that, that really they had no other way out of it except to be socially, economically, that's the best route for me. I'm going to put myself under a master and they will be my boss and I will have to be indentured to them. But here's the thing. Paul is not endorsing slavery here. He's not saying, hey, I, I want everybody to just go into that life. He says that's not what he's saying. He's saying many of you are already in that life. And there's no escape. Right now, there's no escape for you to get out from under that. And he uses it as an extreme example. And it's a horrible example as far as like their lives in it. But he says, I want you to understand, even though you're in it and you can't get out of it, because even in Rome, they, they, they kept them and they gave them the opportunity to be free at some point. But almost, almost always, it wasn't until age 30 that they were able to even gain their freedom. But he says, even in the midst of that, don't miss the fact of who you are called to be. You weren't called in God's scheme. He wasn't called you to be a slave. He's called you to be a slave of Christ. I've called you to be a, a one who has got a easy master, the one who is Jesus Christ. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's called you to be in Christ. I've called you to be part of that. He says, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant, as a freed man, of the Lord. The Lord is offering you freedom in your status of salvation. So yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, you're in the middle of this, but don't lose sight of the fact that you are called by God in the midst of this hard situation and you truly are free. It was this example to say, no matter, even if you're in the hardest of circumstances of slavery, if, if you're in this uh, social workplace that you don't want to be in, then, then, then I want you to understand, be there and know that Christ is still with you. But he also says in 721, this is awesome, were you a bondservant when called, do not be concerned about it, but if you gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. He says, it, by all means, don't stay there. If you have the opportunity to get out and do something better, then obviously do something better. For us today, it would be kind of like this, that I, I feel like I'm stuck in my job. I don't want to be here. I feel like God has called me to be more than, than whatever my job that I'm currently doing right now. And we've all felt that, right? We've all had that feeling of like, my job is the worst. I don't want to be here. I need to get myself out of it. But for many of us, we may feel stuck. We, we feel like I can't financially. I can't move out of state. I just have to be here and I have to just kind of go through it. And Paul is saying, I'm not calling you to, to, to do, you know, crazy things here. I'm just saying, wherever you're at, remain content in it. However, if you have the opportunity, th then take it, right? Th this is the idea of like, in the Roman society, freedom would have been offered to them. And so he says, take it. If you're doing something you don't want to do, and it's not something you're, you're completely passionate about, and there's an opportunity that arises, then, then by all means, do it. But if you've called and this is where you are currently and you're, you feel like this is where you're supposed to be, then, then God says just be content in it, right? If you're, if you're a blue-collar worker in a factory and, and you're doing the work, be content in it. Live Jesus there, right? If you're a teacher, then, then be a teacher who is in Christ and, and use Christ in that world. 
Now, if you're like a country musician, then, then please do better, right? I mean, like nobody wants to stay there, you know, or if you're, if you're a Michigan player or coach, then, then please, you know, avail yourself of freedom. I'm telling you right here and right now, you can do better, <laughs> right? He says, no matter what your job, no matter what you're calling, he says, I want you to remember, it's not so much your job. It's the fact that you are a Christian at your job. He says, I want you to remember that in the midst of this discontent, who you are in Christ. The commentator, another commentator says this in this idea of the bond servants and slavery. They, both of these examples illustrate the divine principle that no earthly status, such as one's racial heritage or social standing, is incompatible with the Christian's calling by God. Those who were circumcised when God called them do not advance their spiritual condition by undergoing an operation to restore their circumcision, nor do those who are uncircumcised when God called them enhance their standing with God by undergoing circumcision. Slaves are no less accepted by God than are free persons. Both belong to Christ, and their social status has no spiritual significance. Whether a Christian is circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, he'll get into the other ones, married or single, is inconsequential to God. No condition presents an obstacle to living the Christian life since a Christian is now defined by God's call. And by call, we mean salvation. This, he ends again then with 24, and he says, those are the two examples, but remember, 24, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. You see, there's the idea of contentment again. He says, I want you to remain where you have been called. The key is contentment in where you are. Paul knew, as we know, that some things get revealed when we're discontent. When we're discontent, it could reveal ingratitude, right? I just, I'm not thankful for where God's placed me. I feel like it's a burden. I feel like God's forgotten me. He says, don't get ungrateful in the midst of where you are. Discontentment may bring ingratitude. It could also bring arrogance, right? I'm better than this. I deserve more than this. I, I should be here in this leadership position, and yet God's got me here, Right? It could lead to lust or greed. I, I want to have more. I got to have more. We're going to talk about that later. It could lead to entitlement, right? I, I, have, I have this position, and, and, and because of it, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a bigger person. We're going to talk about that later as well. But those are some things that I think in discontentment, if we remain there, those things start to surface. Ingratitude, arrogance, lust, greed, entitlement. And each of them we'll, we'll come back to in the next two weeks when it comes to singleness and marriage because they apply greatly there. But for this morning, let's go back to the idea of contentment, right? Because here's the truth that Paul's getting at. Contentment has to be nurtured because it's not natural. Let me say that again. Contentment has to be nurtured because it's not natural. And I think we all know that, right? Nobody wakes up every single day of their life and is like, man, I am just so content today. I need nothing else in my life because I have everything I could ever need or ever want, right? Until you grab your phone and then you start scrolling through social media or whatever it is and you start to think, man, I don't have that. I don't have that. And I wish I had that. And contentment it has to be nurtured. It's not natural. It's not just going to happen. 
You're not going to stumble upon contentment. It's not like you're going to be able to do life and do life and, and then all of a sudden you're just going to wake up one day and you're like, I, I just feel like I'm content. Everything about my life is perfect. That's not going to happen. We don't stumble into contentment. You will have to work for it. You'll have to contend for it. Much like the church in Corinth, they had to contend for it. They had to fight for contentment in the midst of their situation, especially those in slavery. I mean, that had to be extremely painful and hard to strive for contentment when all they saw around them was, was nothing but darkness and nothing but just bleak, bleak hope, you know, of getting out of that. But Paul says, I want them to be content and I want you to fight for contentment. Everything in you, everything in me, will fight against contentment, and especially now. With so much available to us, we will always naturally fight against the current of contentment. And so it has to be nurtured because it's not natural. Some of this contentment may flow into where we are currently, right? It, It may be that a lot of you are feeling overwhelmed right now by a lot of the news and a lot of the headlines and contentment is far from your radar, right? You, you, you're, you're nervous, you, you read the next thing, you're, you're worried about your kids, you're worried about your family, you're worried about your, your grandparents, your, your parents, you just don't know what's gonna, where it's going to land, you don't know how long it's going to last and three weeks and not and you're just really, really overwhelmed right now. And so let me press into you who may be feeling that, that sense of overwhelmed right now. Let me press in a little bit. Here, here's the definition of overwhelm. This is amazing. Overwhelm is to give too much of one thing to someone or something. It's to give too much of one thing to someone or something. You see, what we've done in the midst of this craziness of corona and COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, it comes from giving too much over to it. And a lot of us, what we've given over is control, right? We've given over control to panic. When we're overwhelmed, when we're not, this is going to sound ironic, but when we're not in control, we get overwhelmed. But in the midst of being overwhelmed, you're actually giving over control to the unknown, to fear and to panic. And that's why, you know, there's no toilet paper anywhere. This is a weird phenomenon. Like, why toilet paper? I have no idea, but it is the thing it is. That's where we are. Overwhelmed is the opposite of being content. And it comes from the need to be in control. You are overwhelmed not by this flu bug, COVID-19 virus. You are overwhelmed not by that. You're overwhelmed by not being in control of it. For many of us, we're overwhelmed because we are freaked out that we are not in control of what's happening around us. It freaks you out. But here's, here's a warning, if I can just press into you a little bit. That freaking out is robbing you of relationships. Isolating, pulling ourselves together. We're just going to bunker down and we're not going to talk to anybody. We're not going to reach out to our neighbors. We're not going to help. We're just going to stay safe. And it's all about me and my safety and they're fine. They'll be okay. And maybe, but that's not my problem. My problem's right here and right now and my kids and my family. And I got to just bunker down and, and, and take control of my kids. And at least we're healthy, right? We're all healthy. You're healthy. You're healthy. You're healthy. Okay, cool, cool. We're here. Yeah, that's us. That's we're, we're, we're healthy and we're, we're here it. That freaking out is robbing you of relationships. And if I can press a little harder, it's scaring your kids. 
They're freaked out because mom and dad are freaked out, right? They're freaked out because all they see around them is, is people who are freaking out and pulling them in and, and keeping them close instead of saying, hey, you know what? We're not in control. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in the next hour. So how foolish of us to try and figure out, like, we have everything figured out. We don't. We can't. By freaking out, you rob yourself of relationships and you start to freak out those close to you. What they need is mom and dad to be solid right now, to be strong, to be courageous, to say, you know what? We're not going to be controlled by this. It's not that big a deal. We'll be okay, right? They need reassurance. So in this time right here, right now, stop robbing yourself of relationships. Stop freaking out your kids and those in relationships around you. The other thing this does is when we start to freak out and we get overwhelmed, this freaking out is robbing you of the mystery of God himself, right? We, we feel like God's kind of left us, so we'll just kind of take over. We start to become really, really good Christian atheists. We, 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 we function as if God doesn't exist and we just have to solve the problem ourselves. So we'll load up on Purell or whatever we need to do and forget that God is ultimately in control. And when we're content and not overwhelmed, we can step back and we can ask the question, God, what are you doing? What's happening right now? And how can I be part of your plan and not just freak out about things that are happening? Thirdly, freaking out can rob you of seeing the sovereignty of God. I'm telling you, there are moments when we started the church where I felt like I had a grasp and a handle on the sovereignty of God because I had nothing else. Like, we didn't know if this was going to make it. We didn't know what was going to happen. And that sovereignty of God was huge to say, God, you're in control. You're writing the story. Help me to understand you're writing the story. You go ahead of me. What's happened is more and more comes on my plate and more and more comes on your plate. We start to say, God's not as sovereign as I thought he was or maybe not acting as quickly as I thought he would act. So I'm going to do it and I become God. You see, the reality is when we freak out, we're robbing ourselves, we're robbing our kids, we're robbing our family of seeing the sovereignty of God. It's asking the question, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? And how can I be a part of your plan? And lastly, when we're overwhelmed, that freaking out is robbing you of contentment. It truly is. You're never gonna be satisfied. You're just gonna be worried about the next thing and the next thing. So what do we do? right? If truly we believe that when we're distracted, we, we grow into discontentment. And Paul is asking us that no matter what situation we are in, if you are called into Jesus Christ, you have salvation. He's saying, live where you are, stay where you are, be content where you are. If that's true, then how do we do it? Well, let me give you another suggestion out of Paul's life, and we'll close with this. Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, gives us some amazing, amazing truths. Philippians chapter four, if you want to flip over there, I would encourage you over the next three weeks, just spend some time in Philippians chapter four. It's really reassuring. And this is the idea that he's dealing with and the idea of contentment. Specifically, we read verses uh, 10 and 12. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other words, they wanted to help, but they didn't have an opportunity to help. But now that they were helping, they were content. Isn't that crazy? Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You've seen that all over the place, verses and football players and everything else. But it's in this context of saying, I don't have need because I've already learned to be content in what God has done for me. I have learned whatever situation to be content. Okay, Paul, you've learned how to be content. How do you get there? First, he says in verses four to seven, it's prayer over panic. Verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness, that's needed right now, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard your feelings. It will guard your decisions. The more we focus on who God is, rejoice in the Lord, pray to him in these anxieties. He says, prayer over panic in four through seven. And then in eight through nine, he says, I want you to focus your attention. If you get distracted, bring yourself back. Don't get distracted. Put your focus here on eight and nine. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So when you start to freak out, when you start to get distracted, when the phone starts to go off and you start to kind of go down that rabbit trail and you start looking for the next update and the next update, what's he going to say next? What's he going to say next? What are we going to do? What's the church going to do? How are we going to function? He says, when you get distracted, put your mind on these things. I want you to think about things that are honorable, that are just, that are pure, that are lovely, that are commendable, that are excellent. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think of the things God's done in your own life to make them worthy of praise. What you have learned and received and heard and seen and mean, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This week, uh, you're going to be off and there's going to be some needs that are going to come up. Um, My challenge is not just think of yourself, but think of others. We talk about loving our neighbors to life and we even put in the post some options for you to do that. I love that Paul in four, that these, these believers at Philippi, they, they alleviated their discontentment by doing ministry. He says, you didn't have the opportunity to give me help, but then you gave me help and it helped your discontentment. <laughs> for us, may we look around to our neighborhoods and say, God, what do you want me to do? How can I help? How can I be part of what you're doing in this story? Help me not to miss in the midst of this chaos. Help me not to, in fear, buckle down and just, we're just gonna ride this out. The church needs you to be Jesus to your neighbors this week, next week, the week after. Meals, babysitting, checking in, phone, text, loving our neighbors to life is where we started. And I truly believe that is part of God's story right here, right now. How will we give back so that discontentment doesn't start to seep in? And let me give you a couple questions to think about then as you go through these next couple weeks together. Who are the group of friends that cultivate those things of pure, lovely, excellent, commendable in you? Who are those group of friends that, that, that bring contentment in your life? What are the activities that foster contentment in your life? Do those. You're going to have some time. <laughs> Do those things that bring contentment. What are the environments that nurture contentment? 
live there for a while? And then lastly, as a challenge question maybe for some of you, what are you afraid to be content about because you're afraid God will keep you there? Right? I think there's some of us that we're afraid to be content because it's like a game we're playing with God. If I'm content, then he'll just keep me here and I don't want to be here and it's not the way it works. So what are you afraid to be content about because you're afraid God will keep you there? Learn to be content where you are. Learn to be content in every situation. This week, I'm praying that you, your family, those around you, your small group, uh, can focus in on chapter four of Philippians and make that your, 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 your place to be from now until Easter. Just rest in those words and in those things that when the, the news starts to go, whichever way it's gonna go, you know God is sovereign. God has got this and I'm gonna focus on him. Let me pray. God, we don't want to turn a blind eye to the needs that are around us. Um, But also, we don't want to freak out as if you don't know what's going on. So God, I pray for those in their homes this morning who are listening to this. God, that you remind them you are sovereign. You are in control. You are dealing with the things that we don't have to deal with. You're allowing us to be your kids and to rest God, when those distractions come that bring discontent, whether it's, whether it's this, this corona thing or whether it's our jobs or whether it's our marriages or whether it's the fact of being single, God, I pray that when discontentment starts to come in, we remind ourselves that we are called by you and you're asking us to be content where we are. God, I pray that. I pray that you do that in a way that only you can. I pray that you give them a great weekend this weekend. And God, I also pray that you would give us those names and those faces that we need to reach out to, to love our neighbors to life now more than ever. Take that meal over, pray with them, hear their concerns, take a walk around their neighborhoods to see what what needs need to be there. God, I pray you give us as leaders in the church wisdom too on how to reach out during this time. As we reach out to schools and and the needs that are there, I pray that uh, there would be those needs that we could meet even as a church over these next few weeks. God, we thank you for being in control. Thank you for pushing us a little bit this this morning and saying, I don't want you to freak out. I want you to rest in me. We love you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.